Okay, maybe we're live on YouTube. Let's hope. Carrie, can you hear me? Are you there? Uh, let me unmute you. Carrie. Yeah, can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you. I think okay. we're live. Welcome. Yeah, everyone. it looks like it. Uh, I will let me pull up the chat because that's the polite thing to do is look at chat unless there's random trolls yelling about Josh Denny. You're supposed to have the chat up. That's the rule. How you doing, Carrie? I'm okay. I'm going to take off my boots <laughs> while you do that. You're going to take off your boots? This is this is a very professional live stream. I know. Getting comfortable. Welcome, everyone. It's, uh, what is it, Thursday the 23rd? Is it the 23rd? Yeah, I think it's the 23rd. And... Uh, and here we are. Carrie, do you want to uh, do you want to be responsible for tweeting out our URL? Just yeah, to, um, I'll do that right now. Uh, you got to find it first. I don't know where it is, but I'm sure it's on the page somewhere so people can see where we are. All right. <clears throat> well, today we're going to talk about something. I actually think this is going to be the beginning of a discussion that I think may actually turn into more and more shows. It's something that's near and dear to my heart. I know there's been a couple uh, listeners and viewers who it matters to them, and that is we're going to start talking about education a little bit. In particular, we're going to start talking about how social justice ideology is more prevalent in education than you might think, not just, I mean, partly the public school system, but not just the public school system. It's also <clears throat> private schools, charter schools, it's everywhere. And it's not also, it's just, it's not in universities anymore only. It's bled into elementary education. And a lot of us, <clears throat> you know, a lot of us who are parents who have kids that are this age, we grew up in an era where we went to public school, it didn't seem that bad, especially if you're from the suburbs or whatever, probably fine. And we kind of have this almost nostalgic view of, eh, it's not the best, but it's fine. They'll teach you some general good things and and you know, you'll go on your way. And yeah, you know, avoid the crazy colleges or or whatever, but you know, you're mostly learning math and how to think and that's fine. And that's not true anymore. And it's, if you're not paying attention to it, which I know a lot of people don't, you don't realize just how much your children are being indoctrinated. And partly, I only realize some of what happens because I talk about this kind of stuff a lot. And so my daughter notices it and comes home and tells me. But we're going to talk about something that we've, we've talked about before, which is the New York City public schools. So Carrie, have you seen this? There was, uh, so I guess the New York City Chancellor, the Chancellor of the New York City School District, his name is uh, Richard Carranza, Carranza, Carranza. And he had a, he was involved in this mandatory training and it was sponsored by uh, the Department of Education, the New York's uh, Office of Equity and Access. And this was mandatory training for principals, central office supervisors, and superintendent teams. So this is everyone, 
who makes decisions in your public school. And obviously this is intended to trickle down directly into the classroom. That's why they have this, this discussion. And this uh, part of this training, this guy, Richard Carranza had a slide about, I'll play it. This is, uh, I'll show it here. This is from a New York Post article. <clears throat> and this slide is titled, White Supremacy Culture. <clears throat> now, all these annotations that you see on your screen on the side, they're part of the New York Post article. The slide is that he was presenting was the uh, the thing in the middle here. <clears throat> and I'm gonna we're gonna walk through what these are and, and where he got this. But the title of the slide says white supremacy culture, and he lists 14 things, perfectionism, sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity over quality, worship of the written word, <clears throat> uh, only one way right, only one right way, paternalism, either or thinking, power hoarding, fear of open conflict, individualism, progress is bigger, comma, more, objectivity, and rights to comfort. So... I want to talk about these things because this is a systemic attempt to inject social justice ideology into your children. And if you're, frankly, no matter what race you are, you should worry about this. Obviously, if you're white, this is particularly disturbing to think that your child is going to go to school and be taught by people who believe that there is a white supremacy culture and that whiteness is bad. And we're going to get into. But thing. it's actually particularly disturbing to, I've seen black parents express that it's particularly disturbing that their kids are going to school and being told that they're uh, perpetual victims in a system of oppression. And yes, <laughs> yes. Great like, point. Like I've, I've, I remember a news article of where a black mother objected to this in the public schools because she said, you know, my kid is coming home and talking about what a victim he is. And that's not what I've taught him. Right, right. So <clears throat> this guy get, got this from a workshop pamphlet here. So 13 of these points, actually all 14 are called out in this. It's just that uh, there's 13 bullet points in this, this workbook. And this guy broke it out into 14. He, he made one of them and did two. But there is this workbook floating around. It's dated 2001, so I guess it's not new. And the title of this workbook is White Supremacy Culture from Dismantling Racism, a workbook for social change groups by Kenneth Jones and Tima Oaken, Change Work 2001. And the... The title here, um, the subtitle here says, the characteristics listed below, which we're gonna talk about, are damaging because they are used as norms and standards without being proactively named or chosen by the group. They are damaging to both people of color and to white people. So this is the document that, oops, this is the document that uh, this guy used to construct his, his presentation. Now, I want to, I want to point out something. Yep. This, this is so, this is the kind of stuff that I was learning in college 20 years ago. So what's happened is that it's trickled down to elementary schools. 
So it's no, it's no longer just in the realm of university. This is something they're teaching to a, a version of it to kindergartners. And uh, one other quick thing about that, it, it, it's ironic to me that it says um, these things are damaging to white people and people of color because that's exactly what this indoctrination is. It's damaging <laughs> to white people and people of color. Uh, just a little aside. Carter, we I can't hear you. I don't know if anybody else can. Oops, I was on mute. Thank you for pointing that out. <clears throat> I, great point, Carrie. Uh, I, I was praising you. It was all effusive praise. And you feel <laughs> uh, I want to point something else out. These two authors uh, of this document, Kenneth Jones and Tima Oaken. Kenneth is, is deceased now, um, but <clears throat> both of them are just activists. Tima, just an activist. Kenneth, as far as I can tell, just an activist. Neither one of them ever ran a company or like have, they probably have organizational experience within activist groups, but, but that's it. And so if you come at this from like a company perspective, which of course I do because the private market is where most people are. And I spent my, my life in the private industry. And if you come at it from that perspective, this is some of the stuff is bizarre, but you, you have to realize these people have never actually worked in the private sector. And <clears throat> I want to say that there are, as we go through this, you'll notice that they do bring up some valid problems with some workplaces. Like some, there are some issues that they bring up. And there's a couple of things I want to say about that. One is management techniques have been evolving over decades. So there are issues with management and people trying to figure out the best way to manage organizations and that kind of stuff. So that's all fine. And there's actually a few valid points about management in here. The big problem with this, though, is that it's all labeled. You got to keep this in context. This is labeled as white supremacy culture, right? This would be a much less offensive and damaging presentation if it was labeled, I don't know, uh, questioning management techniques and how we can achieve better organizations, right? Something like that. I would still disagree with a lot of it, and a lot of it is crap, but at least it doesn't vilify an entire race. And you have to think about as a child, think about your child, if you have a child, they probably do go to public school, many people. Your child going to public school, if they're white being told all of these problems, all these bad things about, all these things that can go wrong in organizations or all this bad behavior, that is the label for that bad behavior is white supremacy culture. It's not even just white culture. It's white supremacy culture, which is kind of weird because it's painting all organizations as white supremacists. Like it's, it's, in, it's implying that our entire society is white supremacist, which is ridiculous. They right? also, by the way, use that interchangeably with whiteness. Right. Whiteness. They use it interchangeably with points, right? And then as Carrie said, imagine if you're a minority student going, you'll see that all these things are all about like, basically minority students are too weak and stupid to deal with these things. And so uh, this is how you have to change white supremacists uh, in order to run your organization. So that's kind of the message here. Um, yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say before we delve, delve into this is this is exactly why I think schools should be private. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
this is why schools should be privatized. You'll see that anyone who thinks about organizing, organizing schools and managing in this way, you'll see how ridiculously bloated, wasteful, pathetic, and not results-oriented this is. And that's where your tax dollars go. This is what public education has become. This is what it is. So be aware of that when you look at this. All right, Carrie, are you ready to dive into these? I've got them divided. I, I literally grabbed the text from the uh, from the workbook that this guy used to present to, to make his slide to the board of to or to the educators in New York. So this is the source material that we're looking at. Oh. And there's 13 things here. All right. So that's the title. We read it, White Supremacy. So let's look here. Let's look through the 13 characteristics that they've listed below that are damaging and, um, and, are, and are part of white supremacy culture. Characteristic number one, perfectionism. So I don't want to read, I guess I could read this whole thing, but perfectionism, I'll summarize. They're, they're saying perfectionism is basically you're not appreciating people enough for trying. Um, and you're noticing when they fail at things and then you kind of assume that they're, that person is then inadequate, okay? Um, and it says, tendency to identify what's wrong, little ability to identify, name, and appreciate what's right. So this is... To me, this is just a complaint, I guess. I don't know, Carrie, is your experience that workplaces are all like this and this is part of white supremacy culture? Um, the idea that this is part of white supremacy culture is ridiculous. Um, but aside from that, this isn't, this is really to me, it's, um, it's the participation trophy part of this exactly. generation. Thank you, for, thank you for that analogy. Because this is we um, we don't do enough to recognize people trying. It's 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 basically laying a foundation in advance for excuses for not uh, meeting requirements or yes. meeting expectations. Right, and so this is so. Think about how you might run an organization. You have goals that. Presumably, if you're a decent manager, those goals have been co-agreed upon with the person that you're. Uh, implementing the goals for. So they have goals, they've got results they need to achieve. They fail to meet those those goals in some way. And this philosophy is saying, stop pointing out that they're inadequate, focus on what they did do. Um, I guess you could do that if you don't want to hold anyone accountable, but the way an organization works is you have goals and you try to achieve them. And you notice when they are failed and you point out those failures and you say, hey, this is uh, your work is inadequate here. This is a problem. And maybe there was nothing they could have done about it. And that's when you kind of reevaluate the goal setting. But this is this is part of reflecting back to people how their work is or how their effort is being manifest in reality. So it is the participation trophy, like you're talking about. It's this idea that, hey, it doesn't matter that you didn't achieve the result that we all need in reality. It matters that you tried. And this is something that I would, you know, obviously the, there's lots of 
there's lots of ways in which perfectionism can be the enemy of the good and the good enough. And that's, but that's not really what they're talking about here. And if this were a private company, the idea that you shouldn't point out inadequacies or focus on inadequacies at all, but just focus on what they did well, I mean, your shareholders would dump your stock because you would, that's how you progress. That's how you move forward. It's being able to hear critical feedback and adjust. I have um, something else to point out here is that it's, and I, and I imagine we're going to see this with almost every one of these, these bullet points is that if you look closely enough, they are holding and putting forth racist ideas here, which is that uh, whiteness is about meeting, meeting expectations and standards and people of color aren't able to meet. It's, it's that soft bigotry of low expectations of like, Hey, it's only whiteness that says we should we should uh, try and fulfill our our um, our duty, what we've promised to do in a given situation. Or um, it's it's just really like people of color are weak, and you can't you can't tell them what they did wrong because they're so fragile. And that's a really racist thing. <laughs> like it's yeah. like to say that uh, it's a it's a facet of whiteness to. Um, to want constructive criticism and to help people achieve to say that achievement is a, is a factor of whiteness. Like that's really racist. Yeah. I, and I think, and that's the thing that I think is easy to lose sight of here, Carrie, because you, as you look through these, most of these 13 things will go through. Most of them don't have a lot of racial language in the description, but it's important to remember context. The context here is that perfectionism is a white supremacy problem, right? And that white supremacists expect this and people of color are hurt by this. And as they said in the beginning, white people also, but this is, they're blaming white supremacy on, they're blaming this on white supremacy. So this is an aspect, perfectionism is an aspect of white supremacy apparently. So. By the way, anecdotal evidence of why this is bad. (laughs) Um, yeah. I, it just made me think of a friend of mine who was raised by somewhat, I would say like hippie parents. And, uh, she, she's told me in adulthood that they gave her positive feedback, no matter what, there was never like constructive criticism. So she has no internal barometer for when something that she does is actually good or not. And she yeah. relies more heavily on outside input and opinion and doesn't know which opinions to trust because she said, you know, I never had a scale to determine what was actually good and what was bad that I was doing as a kid. It was like, that's wonderful. Everything was wonderful. <laughs> you know, that that's a really, I don't want to digress, but it's a, that, it's really interesting that you bring it up. I know someone who similarly, her parents never let her do anything competitive. And you'll see that competition is one of the things that's vilified later in this, in this presentation, but her parents also hippie from the sixties, her parents didn't want her to feel like she was a loser ever. So they made sure she didn't do competitive sports. She, they similarly praised her for everything. Right. And how it actually manifests in her adult life was that she was terrified of trying anything because she had never learned, she never built up that, uh, the, the failure muscle. 
absolutely the ability to deal with failure. So every little thing was terrifying to her because what if she failed and she'd never experienced failure and oh my God, failure meant like death to her emotionally. Right. And it's, it's really, really damaging to children to, uh, to try and shield them from the reality that trying isn't good enough, right? It doesn't mean that you get yelled at for trying your best and failing, but it does mean that it's a failure. We've all had failures and embracing that is, is a big part of being able to be an adult. And if you don't recognize the places where you fail, you won't know how to try again in a better way and avoid those things. <laughs> right. Right. So, no, it's a, it's a pain. All right. So let's go. I th- I'm th- thanks for bringing that one up. Okay. Next. So that's one. One is perfectionism. Perfectionism is white supremacy. By the way, I'm sure someone will take that out of context. Carter saying perfectionism is white supremacy. Thank you. Now in advance, thank you for taking that out of context and calling me a white supremacist. So, Number two, sense of urgency. This one, this one made me laugh. So it says continued sense of urgency that makes it difficult to take time to be inclusive, encourage democratic and or thoughtful decision-making to think long-term to consider consequences. Frequently results in sacrificing potential allies for quick or highly visible results, right? Reinforced by funding proposals, which promise, (laughs) by the way, the phrasing of this is so makes it so obvious they've never been in the private sector. Reinforced by funding proposals, which promised too much work for too little money, and by funders who expect too much for too little. Those terms are not used in the private sector. There's not funding proposals and funders. And it's like, I mean, yes, you kind of sometimes use those, but this is clearly a people who've never been in the real world at all. So again, this sense of urgency this is something that is part of part of being in a competitive real world environment where you actually need to get things done in a timely manner imagine being part of a private company a publicly traded company and being the ceo and telling wall street uh we don't really like to have a sense of urgency <laughs> like okay well your pet- your competitor will and uh <laughs> Good luck. Good luck with that. This whole thing, Terry, oh, your dog is loving the conversation. This whole thing is to me reeks of every bad stereotype about millennials because it's very much about coddling their own sense of their own insecurities, their own sense of adequacy. It's about telling them, hey, don't worry. You don't have to rush. You're okay. You tried. That's fine. That's that's what this is. So anyway, I don't know what more to say about sense of urgency other than to point out that, again, the implication here, which is racist, is that a sense of urgency is a sign of the white... It's a, that is a hallmark of the white supremacist culture and that people of color, the sense of urgency is somehow toxic to people of color, that people of color can't, you can't deal. I'm sorry. If you're a person of color, apparently you just can't deal with the sense of urgency. 
you are too pathetic to deal with a sense of urgency. That's, that's going to get cut. Um, that's going to get taken out of context. Um, of course it's going to get of taken course. out of <laughs> So uh, one quick thing about that, and this may come up later. You've, I haven't looked at this in a while, but um, I think it's somewhat related to there, there are actual college professors who are now arguing that uh, the, that students shouldn't have to be on time because being on time is a function of whiteness and, <laughs> and, uh, and the other, what was the other one? Oh, they, they should have unlimited amount of time to take tests. So by the way, if you are a white supremacist, you kind of have to love this. Right. It, it, because it's racist. <laughs> well, but, but also you kind of have to be like, oh, like, Whites, whites are the only ones with a like that can live up to a sense of urgency and perfectionism. Like this is praise for whiteness, basically. Uh, and it's you know just really. Well, they well. share a lot of the same underlying beliefs. They are racists. I mean, they again we can argue about that. They share racist beliefs. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm. Uh, I'm liking Andrew Beckman is saying, maybe we can stop calling them activists and start calling them racists. Can we can we have a conversation about that? Because Carrie and I had a disagreement over the title of this show. Carrie, I want to call them racists and you don't. Well, that's the maybe. correction I just made while you're reading Andrew's comment. I accidentally called them racists and then was like, no. Nah. So here's, here's why I don't like calling people racist. And I try to avoid it even when I feel like they're pushing racist agendas because the moment you've called them that, there it cuts off all discussion. It's like you've made them an other, and you're no longer talking about what beliefs they hold. You're talking about them as a person. And so, yeah, but are you? Ha are we trying to have a discussion with this guy? No, but you're trying not to be a hypocrite. And they throw out that term all the time. They call everyone a racist. But, the, but they are racist. How does that make me a hypocrite? <laughs> no, but see, but Carter, Carter, from your point of view, they are racist. From their point of view, you are a racist. So you get nowhere because you're both like, no, but you're the real racist. No, you're the real racist. It's like, don't stop talking about the person. Talk about the beliefs because nobody hears anything once you've made a personal attack about them. There's actually a, a progressive. But we're not talking to them. Right. So when we say they're racist, we, we have to tell people in the world, your kids are being taught by racists. That's not an argument. That is an assertion. Now we have to back it up with argument by demonstrating that they're racist with logic and reason and arguments. I mean, but, you can do that. I don't think we have to. I think we can say the, what they're being indoctrinated with racism. There's, I don't need to attack this guy who put this together to do that. Why not? Because I, mean, I think it shuts down people listening and not just. No, it doesn't. Who, who would it yeah, shut it down? Because some people are sick of reading about who is the, who's a racist, who's not a racist. Like, there are people who get turned off by that. I don't like it when people attack the person rather than the wow. ideology. I'm not innocent of it. I've done it myself. And especially in, a, in the third person like this about a public figure, I've absolutely done it. Um, I tried very hard not to do it in a face-to-face -face conversation with someone. No, I'm just explaining why I, I try not no, no, to. I get it. I think it's a strategy. Uh, it's, I think it's like a tactical <laughs> well, um, really quickly, but, let me plug this. We can put this in the comments because this is this shows this is something I agree with from an SJW. Jay Smooth, he's a YouTuber or used to be. I don't think he really does much anymore on YouTube, but you can go find his old videos. He's got a video and it's from an SJW to SJWs. 
and it's really good. And it's talking about, Hey, if you do want to have meaningful change, like how to, it basically, I think the video is called how to tell someone they're saying something racist or doing something racist without calling them a racist. It's a really good video. And I don't even agree with him on most things, but I, I do that. No, I, I agree. If I was sitting down with people who were SJWs pushing this ideology, I wouldn't lead the discussion by saying you're racist. <laughs> that okay, would not good. Be well, at least we agree on I, that. I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking to regular people who have got their kids in school and I want to shock them into saying, by the way, those people teaching your kids, they're fucking racist. That's what they are. Wake up and pay attention to what they're being taught because they're being taught by racists, right? Maybe there's a little shock value there, but it's true. Uh, anyway, uh, by the way. And I'll be there softening the edges. <laughs> I know. You, 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 yeah. He doesn't mean it. Uh, Joe's recommending that the SJW schools which seems to be all of them, by the way, thank you for the parenthetical, Joe, because I would have said, yeah, that's all of them, uh, need to get sued. Yeah, absolutely, they do need to get sued. And I think we are going to see some of those schools get, we're starting to see that, I think. We'll see what happens because, you know, it's. A, I imagine it's going to eventually end up in the Supreme Court because I imagine if this lawsuits happen in places like California, where this is a big problem, uh, it will very quickly be dismissed by the Ninth Circuit and there'll have to be appeals and you know, you'll end up uh, in the Supreme Court. And uh, we'll we'll see if the Supreme Court doesn't think this stuff is racist. I don't know what I, <laughs> store your ammo. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Make sure keep your ammo dry. I don't know what to say about that. I can agree so, with that. All right. Carrie agrees with keeping your ammo dry. Let's move on to the next. <laughs> let's move on to the next point. Uh, and by the way, if people want us to talk more about education, obviously we've only gone two into 13, so we have more to talk about. But if people want us to keep talking about education, there's a lot that I want to talk about education, how to how to help uh, inoculate your kids, stuff that kids are seeing in school and hearing and how to talk to kids about it. Like there's a bunch of I want to do, but I don't know that the audience is interested. And, you know, I'm not a teacher. I'm just some guy with a kid who basically wants to pull his kid out of school. I'm interested. I mean, you know, education makes me, this is one of the issues I get really passionate about it because I get really angry about it because it's wrong. It's wrong yeah. what they're doing to kids. And it's ultimately the only thing that can change culture is, is, is kids who are raised properly. So, all right, next one. So that was sense of urgency. <laughs> defensiveness. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's sometimes defensiveness in organizations. Apparently only white people are defensive though. <laughs> so which, which is interesting because I bet if you call an you call an SJW out on anything, they'll immediately just call you a racist, which seems like a defensive reaction. But the organ, so they say the organizational structure is set up and much energy spent trying to prevent abuse and protect power as it exists, rather than to facilitate the best out of each person or to clarify who has power and how they are expected to use it. Uh, a lot of energy in the organization is spent trying to make sure that people's feelings aren't getting hurt or working around defensive people. Now, actually, I agree with this point generally, not that it's a white supremacist point. I don't know why this is part of white supremacist culture. But yeah, there are, especially in the age of millennials, there are a lot of people who get their feelings hurt and it creates drama at work and you got to work around it. And there's a lot of defensive people. But that comes from that comes from 
self-esteem issues. It comes from never being exposed to criticism. It comes from being coddled. It comes from not having to defend your ideas logically, right? It comes, it comes from exactly the kind of culture that they seem to be wanting to put forward here. It's, it comes from not having standards, right? You learn to deal with stuff and not get your feelings hurt by, by being able to separate your identity from your, your positions. Uh, or your arguments, but this is just a really, to me, this is a, a really weird one to put in there because. Uh, Here's know, why I, they do it. Can I tell you from my yeah, experience no. as an SJW? Okay, so this was written in 2001. I can't yeah. remember. I can't remember when she coined this term, but um, Dr. Robin D'Angelo, who's an SJW professor activist, uh, coined the term white fragility. And, and I, I think it must have been after this, otherwise they would have included it. So white fragility has now um, made it into the dictionary. It's, I don't know if you can see, that's dictionary.com. Uh, the tendency among members of the dominant white cultural group to have a defensive, wounded, angry, or dismissive response to evidence of racism. This is a term that is at, in actuality, in practice, the way that it's used is to preemptively head off any disagreement from a white person. Ah, that's that's super helpful because I didn't really understand this one. I Now I understand it. Thank you. So even if you're not being defensive, like I've been in numerous conversations with SJWs about this since I've left that belief system and a, and a lot of newbie SJWs, those are always funny. And um, if they give you the new, def, the new definition of racism, for example, no, racism equals um, prejudice plus power. Let me explain you, Carrie. Yeah, let me explain to you. I, I love the newbie white SJWs. They're so like, if I just, I'm going to change the world by going out and preaching this stuff. That they, a lot of them are really well-intentioned, but anyway. So they'll tell you this new definition. Now, if you say, I disagree, racism is simply, you're, you're making it too complicated. Racism is simply treating people differently based on race. It's being prejudiced based on race. Um, they will say, hey, that's your white fragility talking. <laughs> Like, don't get so, don't be so defensive. And it's like, I'm not being defensive. I'm disagreeing with you. Like there's, but it's a way to head off disagreement. So, so this is another one of the like SJWs always project things, which I, I hate, I hate to say so-and-so people always do X because obviously that's not true, but they do have a tendency to project. And usually when they say the other side is doing something, it's usually them doing something. And I yes. would say, that's an example of this like massive fragility. Like, don't question anything we're saying. And if you do, you're being defensive. It's like, well, yes, that that's you being fragile and defensive. And if you keep um, talking with these people calmly, which I encourage people to do to try and talk calmly and without contempt, they will show their emotions very quickly and they will get really angry and call you angry. Um, or they will get really defensive and call you defensive and, and it is a, I see projection, I, you know, it's not limited to SJWs, but it's massive within the SJW movement. Yeah. Um, by the way, Keith says, I know a couple where the girl is out hugging some new person they met and the guy is in the motorhome loading the shotgun. Keeps things balanced. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great balance, Keith. <laughs> right. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll go load my shotgun. Um, also, someone pointed out fareducation.org. They just won part of their legal case. I haven't seen that. So we'll have to look at that and maybe 
um, dive into it. Maybe we'll try and get someone on the show about that. So thanks for pointing that out. And finally, I just like reading the comments. I enjoy talking to our audience. So uh, Joe says a large part of the problem is that parents are obviously unaware uh, of the extent to which their kids are being brainwashed. Yeah, I would say that's most of the problem, right? And they do need to be made aware, which is why I want to use triggering language like racist. But I like, yeah, I they need to be made aware because I don't think they are. Most parents assume that the school has the best interest of their children at heart. And people tend to just kind of project and assume that other people are similar to them in their thought process. And so you know, you, you drop your kid off and you figure the teachers are kind of like you, but know some more stuff about, I don't know, American history or whatever it is they're teaching. And they're just going to, you know, be good and, and teach your kids the subject. And that's not true. These people are, some of them are, are like that. A lot of them are probably mindless in terms of philosophy, haven't thought about it. And they, they'll just buy this indoctrination hook, line and sinker and therefore become agents of social justice, even without realizing it. And some of them are just horrible, horrible people. And those horrible people have intentionally worked their way into education and are trying to influence it and are succeeding. Yeah. So, Well, I know we're, we're going on a tangent, but one other quick thing. Yeah. It's multi-pronged, the SJW ideology. As So it's, it's a lot of the stuff we've talked about in previous episodes. It's the whiteness stuff. It's the fat studies stuff. It's the trans stuff and gender stuff. It's like, it's, it's multi-pronged. And once they, they usually, it usually starts at a school as its own thing. Like they bring it in under some diversity or anti-bullying thing. Um, but then it spreads to all of the other subjects because it becomes the primary lens at that school through which everything must be viewed. So don't be surprised, you know, don't think that science or, or math classes are not subject to being viewed through this lens. I mean, there you can look up articles about college professors talking about how math is racist. So, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a disturbing and accurate point. All right, let's let's move on. Okay, so <clears throat> that was defensiveness. Next one: quantity over quality. All resources of organization are directed toward producing measurable goals. Things that can be measured are more highly valued than things that cannot. For example, numbers of people attending meeting, blah, blah, blah. Literal and no value attached to process. So I, I just want to point out first here, quantity over quality does not mean what these bullet points say. This is a mislabeling. It doesn't make any sense. I really think some of these people are just functionally retarded and learned some words to put together. They don't understand where we're like, either they're brilliant and they know exactly what they're doing, which might be the case, or they just don't even understand definitions of words they're using. Quantity over quality does not mean <laughs> you focus too much on stuff that can be measured, right? Measurement is how you guarantee quality. That's, that's what you do to guarantee quality is you measure. And the reason that organizations focus on things that can be measured is it's the, it's one, it's the only way to objectively determine whether or not you're making the progress that you want. Which I love we'll objectivity in a minute, but like the idea that this is quantity over quality is just, it's just <laughs> stupid. There's nothing else to say. This is just dumb. <laughs> I love it when you get upset. You're not even upset about the ideology here. You're just upset about them being wrong. I about hate stupidity <laughs> so much. 
I make mistakes. I'm stupid sometimes. I get it. I like to be corrected. Sometimes people are like, you spelled that wrong or you said this and that's dumb and that's fine. And I'll say, I'm sorry, oops, and I learn. But I fucking hate people who are just, they just spew their stupidity all over the place and then it leaks out into the public school system. What the fuck? <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, I, your, I, your I, anger I, is I, valid. I just, I, I like so watching awesome. you. I don't know what it is. Huh? I just like watching you get worked up. <laughs> I know. I am worked up. Get uh, off my lawn. <laughs> I know. I should. Uh, if Gavin McGinnis had not already had a show called Get Off My Lawn, that's probably what I would have called this. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, it's saying there's little or no value attached to process. Here, let me, I'll pull it back up because I'm not showing it anymore. Literal or no value attached to process. If it can't be measured, it has no value. Like process can be measured. Like the, the process is measured by the results. This is just, this is just stupid. This is like, they've never managed anyone or run an organization. Um, and then they have discomfort with emotions and feelings. How that's connected to quantity over quality, I have no freaking idea. But I don't, what does that even mean? We have dis discomfort with emotions and feelings? I think what they're trying to say is emotions trump numbers, right? And, and this is, again, so insulting to people of color, right? This is like saying, look, only white people. So let's just back up for a minute. Why do you measure things? Why do you use logic? Why do you use reason? Well, because logic and reason are how you construct a model of the world that correlates to reality. There's a fucking deer on my front lawn. Sorry. How logic cool. Logic and reason are how you construct a model of the world that correlates and corresponds correctly to reality. Like that's what it's for. That's why, you know, you do the math first and then build the bridge. You don't just nail, you know, wood together and hope the bridge survives, right? You that's why you use logic and reason and 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 not your feelings to come up with how to function in the world. And so I think this whole point, I'm not sure because this is just stupid and it's a word salad, but it looks like the point of this is trying to say, hey, all those measurement things, those are the whiteies. That's the whitey way of looking at the world. We just want to have feelings and emotions. I'm like, okay, great. Go cure cancer with feelings and emotions, you jackass. That's not how you run organizations. It's not how you produce anything ever other than drama. So this one really pisses me off and I don't know why. I'm yeah, sorry. now, by the way, they're hypocrites about all this too. SJWs are absolute hypocrites. So here they're saying we want feelings and emotions, but now th remember what they call white fragility and defensiveness. If you're a white person and you, and you showed feelings or emotion, they call it white fragility or they also call it white tears. Um, they make fun of and mock and shame white tears. Yeah. And oh, especially white female tears. They, there's like oh, they a special, more? Yes, they do. Because within feminism, there's this whole um, uh, thing about like white, there's a stereotype about white feminists. Like they've defined white feminists as feminists who uphold white supremacy culture. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Maybe we should ask Megan Murphy about that next time she's on the show. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. I'll, you know what? I'm sorry. I'll move on. This is, I, this one just triggered. Actually, Carrie, do you have anything to say about this one before we move on? No, I just said it. Okay. I just want to make sure. Mm -hmm. I know I ranted. <laughs> it's okay. All right. This next one is great. Worship of the written word. 
I'm glad I didn't refresh my memory of this before you brought it because it's apparently only white people can read and write. That's there we go. Hey, um, little kid, I'm sorry. I don't know. You don't don't even bother to take English because you don't appear to be white. So uh, I don't really expect you to be able to master the written word at all. That's a white person skill. So, uh, yeah, only the whiteies can come into the English class. How do these people not see how racist and horrible they are? I was just saying, um, I'm glad that I didn't refresh my memory of these bullet points beforehand because it's nice to see them and just have my that like that is just hilarious. I read these beforehand, obviously, but <laughs> I wasn't as emo. I don't know why I'm like so emotional now that I'm talking about it. Uh, and actually, um, hold on, let me back up. So according to this, Carrie, um, you are not allowed to have discomfort with emotions and feelings. So my emotions are now an argument. So I hate this end of discussion. That, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so worship of the written word. So first of all, they're using the word worship. It's a condescending word to use, right? <clears throat> the, the written word is important for uh, two reasons. Well, probably more than two, but I can think of two right off the top of my head. One is the written word can be more carefully considered and and it's edited. So when you write something down, you can be more precise and more clear with what you mean to say. Because when you speak extemporaneously, you often make mistakes or you're not very precise in your language. And the written word can be written down, communicated to another person, edited and made to be precise. This is why you have requirement specifications documents and 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 all those kinds of things because the written word in like an engineering context the written word turns into software, which computers can't deal with innuendo and feelings. Um, and so that's one reason the written word is important. Another reason is organizations need to archive knowledge. You can't just have, you know, this is not a Native American tribe sitting around the campfire trying to pass stories from one generation to another. If you have an organization, you cannot rely on the same people being in your organization for 100 years or more, or however long you want your organization to continue. So you have people coming in and out, you hire new people, people leave, you expand, and you need institutionalized knowledge. And one of the ways that institutionalized knowledge is captured, in fact, one of the primary ways that institutionalized knowledge is captured is through the written word. The written word is extremely valuable. It's part of what built civilization generally. And I'm not just talking Western civilization. I mean, civilization. And the, the, to, to, to argue that worship of the written word first is something bad and second is a white supremacy thing is both evil, it's an evil argument to make because it's anti-intellectual and it's racist because it implies that, you know, hey, the written word favors white people more than it favors non-white people, which, you know, my wife speaks many more languages than I do. She's way better at the written word than I am, and she's not white. Uh, this I'm is like sure um, I don't have to cite examples of non-white people who are brilliant with language, but apparently to these people we do. It's incredibly racist. It's incredibly condescending towards people of color. And again, this is all about um, denigrating achievement, and it's all about denigrating trying to do better and master something. See, the the written word, it, it reminds me of actually a conversation I had today. I was talking to this um, this guy we're hopefully going to have on deprogrammed at some point, Samuel Say, and uh, he's a Christian writer, and he's he's got a website called Slow to Write, 
And we were having a conversation about the podcast and he said, yeah, I, I want to talk to you first because when I write, the written word is great because I can take my time with it and make sure I'm articulating myself very clearly and helping people to understand me better. Whereas talking, you've got to communicate those thoughts much more quickly and you're more likely to maybe not put forth the best argument or to put forth what you're trying to say in a really articulate manner. So again, you're right. It's, it's, uh, it's, there's something wrong with the way they use the word worship. It's not worship. It's, it's, um, it's acknowledging the power of the written word and, and being useful in helping people to understand each other clearly. Um, and, it, and in the company or something. Yeah. It's like, that's documentation. That's documentation. So that you know that you're all on the same page and you're not playing a game of telephone. Well, I was told this and you were told this and you know, and there's right. nothing in writing. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, I, it's, I don't even know. Yes. I don't know what I'm, more to say about that. By the way, good parent points something out. Uh, she, I don't know if it's a he or she. I think I know who good parent is, but I'm not going to assume. Uh, Zer, Z, Z says, <laughs> uh, isn't this, wasn't this lecture done using written words? Actually, yes. And it's, it wasn't actually originally a PowerPoint. I turned it into a PowerPoint. It was actually a PDF. So even more of a, written word and and he or she or z, z <laughs> points out that we can just disregard it which is <laughs> we don't want to worship this document i think that is the right response that's the healthiest response uh yet that's a great response so all right there's the written word let's look at the next thing paternalism <laughs> sorry the, the idea the idea that the the people who treat non-white races as children are now going to turn around and criticize uh, our society and white people apparently for being paternalistic is rich to me, but let's take a look at that. So they say paternalism, but they don't really talk about that. This is all about power. Decision-making is clear to those with power. Those with power often don't think it's important or necessary to understand the view, but those with power understand the blah, blah, blah. Those with power, those without power. Um, this is a... You know, you Carrie, you talked about how power is is primary. It's, cen it's central. Yeah. If you learn nothing else about SJW ideology, learn this because this is the this is the core. They believe that the best way to view the world is through a lens of um, believing that that we are all competing groups, competing on the basis of identity and power. So it is a new form of Marxism. Marxism was the same, except it's about class, these groups based on class. This is, I call it neo-Marxism, but it's what I call SJW ideology. They believe that the best way to view the world is like everything is a conflict and a power struggle between these identity groups. And they don't define power in the traditional way. They define power only by what groups you're in. Right. And actually empower itself, I think is a sloppy word. Because I actually hate the word power in, in this context because there is a distinct difference between social power and employment power and like actual government power, right? So if let's just talk about, let's just separate them for a minute. The government has power over me. 
in that they can shoot me and throw me in jail if I disobey with their rules. That's pretty physical, real power, right? An employer would have power over me, but not in that sense, right? They could fire me or they could say, you can only have this job if you do X, Y, and Z, or you have to, whatever. Okay, but uh, there's some reciprocal power. Like I could say I quit unless you give me a raise. I've got a little power. It's a mutual relationship. It's voluntary. Is there is there quote power? Yes, in some sense, but it's not. It's not the same. It's not even appropriate to use the same word for that and people who can shoot you, which is the government, right? It's not even. They're not even in the same category. Those two things. And similarly, like you could argue that my daughter has power over me because I love her and I'm a dad and I'm easily swayed and like she can just you know manipulate me because she's a kid like she has that kind of power over me I have other kind of power over her so I hate the word power here because it's so sloppy that it's not clear what is meant and I think that social justice community uses the word power intentionally in a way to obfuscate the difference between power by gun and fiat and power by like social ostracism, right? Those are two very different things. Or they power, do, power them. They, they do it. They use it because they are trying to say that uh, uh, they are trying to make you accept. Like in this document, they are assuming that you already accept their definition of power. Just like they've redefined racism and sexism, they've redefined power to be very limited. They want it to be about groups. It's only defined by what groups you're in because then they can justify oppressing groups and moving other groups up because you're trying to rectify the imbalance of power. So it's okay to, you know, um, to oppress this group or to discriminate, discriminate against this group because they have so much power as a group. That's it's 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 a basis for whether people who push this realize it or not. It is laying the groundwork to be able to justify oppressing and discriminating against groups of people on the basis of race and sex and sexuality and gender and all these things. Um, the other thing is, I think Joe makes a good comment in the chat. He says, you know, the, these are greedy people. Uh, I'm paraphrasing because I can't read the chat while I do this, but um, that these are greedy people looking for power. So he's absolutely right. And, and coming from someone who was in it for as long as I was, they worship power. Let's use that word worship. They worship power. Yes. Yeah. They worship power. They value power. When an SJW dies, I've told you this before, they don't say rest in peace. They say rest in power, <laughs> which tells you everything about what they value. Rest in power. That's what? Yeah. No, I, I, I <laughs> yeah. And, and, and because they conflate the types of power, it allows them to say, for example, uh, you have this kind of weird social power. Over, this group has this weird social power quote over this group. Therefore, this other group needs the power of a gun to control that group. It's like they, they when you conflate those two powers, you're able to, to, to put unjust equations forth because you're, it's a sleight of hand yes. through the word power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that you reminded me of, and I wanted to point this out at the beginning, but I forgot. Here's the title slide. The characteristics listed below are damaging because they're used as norms and standards without being proactively named or chosen by the group. 
that's a weird it's a weird phrasing to me. I wanted to get your thought on it because obviously these people are collectivists and I know we talk about that, but maybe we don't talk about it as much. And you just mentioned that it's not about individual power, it's about group power. So Carrie, you have the power associated with all white women, right? Whatever that is, that's your power. Um, right, so go ahead. So, well, I'm just, I'm noticing that this this weird like chosen by the group, I'm not sure what that even means. What does the group mean in this context? Um, you, can you pull that slide up again? Let me read it one more time. Oh, sorry, I thought it was showing on the screen. Uh, yeah, let me pull it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're basically saying that um, all of these characteristics are these white supreme, so-called white supremacist characteristics um, are damaging because they haven't been chosen by the groups that they're being applied to, which is a weird way of saying they. you could easily say they haven't been chosen by the individuals that's being applied to, but they wouldn't say that because they view groups as primary. By the way, this is why they also really hate anyone who is falls into one of these marginalized groups who doesn't espouse the ideology because groups are primary to them. And so therefore they believe there's a black opinion, there's a white opinion, there's a, um, a female opinion. And if you, a gay opinion, and if you don't fit that group, they, they hate you because <laughs> you, you contradict, you contradict their whole narrative, which is that we're, we should be defined by groups instead of by individualism. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, individualism. We'll we'll talk about because they they actually get to individualism as a as a problem. But yeah, oh, I, I, bet just, they do. I just want to point out that groups don't choose. There is no such thing as a group decision, group choice, group like we use that terminology. But metaphysically, people choose. Groups can vote through mechanisms to like make a decision. They can you know kind of agree and and have mechanism. But fundamentally, choice is uniquely individual it's something you do in your mind you make a choice right the group may 51 percent of the group may vote to do something but that's not the group making a choice that's just for some reason they've adopted these rules and they're following these rules and this is you know but fundamentally like metaphysically the group it doesn't make a choice people make choices and it becomes very dangerous when you forget that and you say well you know, because because when you when you forget that, you get into situations where fifty one percent of the people kill the other forty nine. Because it's like, well, the group made a choice, and it's like, well, those forty nine percent of people didn't make that choice. Like, <laughs> like no, a bunch of people made the choice, but like the group decided. <laughs> yeah, the group the group decided you're dead. It's like, well, I didn't decide I was dead. Yeah. So, uh, just important to lay out. Okay, so let's let's keep moving here. I know this might be dragging out for people, but I really want to, this is just important to me and I want to dig into it. So the next one is either or thinking. Things are either or, good, bad, right, wrong, with us, against us. So no sense that things can be both and, and they give some examples. This is- By by the way, this is rich because- they are all about either or good, bad, right, or wrong. That's a great point I hadn't thought of. (laughs) This is rich. They only see things in binaries, like, well, with the exception of gender, but they, everything's like- With the exception of things that are in binary. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that's like, yeah, if it's something that's binary, they have to insist it's not. They just need to be contra- they just need to be contradictory, like critical yeah. studies, you know, they have to be criticize it. And if it's not binary, they have to say it is. That's funny. Um, <laughs> but they they this is kind of old. This is 2001. I think if this were written today, they wouldn't include that because I think they are quite they're not aware of some of their hypocrisy, but I think this is just they've they've progressed a little since then. Um, where they very well, openly still used it, right? He used it, but who knows how he got into these things, into the specifics. I don't know. But Fair. but my point is they um they have overwhelmingly embraced the, especially since Trump's election, the SJW part of the left has just gotten really like you're with us or against us. That's why they feel comfortable calling more than half the country Nazis, because they're like, if you're not one of us, you're a Nazi. Right. And and the other thing to me, this kind of language is also just very sophomoric from a philosophical standpoint, right? Yes, there's gray areas. Yes, issues are more complex and they're not always black and white, but some things are black and white. Like metaphysically, things can't be both and at the same, like you can't, <laughs> there, there is actually, either or is actually a, a valid way of looking at the world at a very granular level, yeah. Once you build upon that, things get more complex and it's not either or. But, you know, at a very simple level, we talked about abortion this morning, right? Either a day-old zygote has a right to life or it doesn't. Now, we may not know the answer and we may be arguing about that, but it can't both have a right to life and not have a right to life at the same time in the same respect. That's not how reason works. So... I think, yeah, you know, similar to gender, which you just brought up, like <laughs> it just both depends on what you're talking about. And I'm gender fluid, or whatever it is. It's like, well, that's not like that's not a thing. You can't just make crap up. Um, well, see, like, so like we talked about yesterday, the um, Kamala Harris's racist tweet, right? Okay, so in that case, they look at something like higher rates, higher percentage of um, uh, maternal mortality rates in Black women, right? And they right. say it's either racism or it's not racism. They don't apply this both and, or there could be multiple variants. There could be multiple reasons. It, it just depends. It, it's weird. It's like you said, they almost flip it. When it is a binary, they're like, it's not. And when it- Well, I mean, it, that's the great example you just gave, right? The, yeah. the higher mortality rates among Black mothers is multivariate. There's a lot of different reasons for that. Some of them may be related to economic conditions. Some of them are definitely related to things like preeclampsia and stuff like like conditions that black women tend to have at higher rates. So they took this thing, Kamala Harris took this thing, which is a multivariate problem and said, nope, it's just racism. Just like, yeah. uh, they're very simplistic. When I first started getting pushback from my SJW friends was after the 2016 election. I was trying to figure out why Trump won. And I started posting some different types of articles and stuff. And I got smacked down immediately with, no, he won because of racism and sexism, period. Like it's either racism and sexism or it's not. You have those two options. There's no other reason why he won. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Well, either or. All right. You're going to love this next one, Carrie. Uh, it's, I think you're going to love it. The next one is power hoarding. Oh. <laughs> Pot, meat, kettle. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so apparently power hoarding is not a social justice thing. It's a white supremacy thing that's prevalent in society. Uh, and there's little, if any, value around sharing power. Power is seen as limited. Only so much to go around, which actually by definition is, is kind of true if you're talking about hierarchical organizations. I don't, I don't have anything to say about this other than it's, uh, you know, it's racist to argue that. I mean, we could actually talk about the Jordan Peterson lobster thing here. <laughs> like there are dominance hierarchies in every species, even lobsters that are built into our brains and dominance hierarchies imply power. There are power structures. Organizations are organized around who's in charge, like, and there's power, they're not like, ultimately that's how they work. Now, I think more enlightened management techniques make the organizational structures of a lot of companies now less militaristic and more cooperative, which I think is good, but there's still a power structure. Like Mark Zuckerberg is still more important than the guy cleaning the toilets at Facebook. He still has more power and should he share it with the guy cleaning the toilets? Well, it depends. Power to do what, right? Um, Mark can't force the guy to work there. Again, this is like a what kind of power and what reason? So anyway, they, they want to forcibly <laughs> redistribute power and their definition of power, which is well, what is their definition then? Okay, their definition of power is is based on what identity groups you're in. So that's oh, solely right. it. So they want to re redistribute power and they they want to equally distribute it. Uh, based on identity groups. This is what they claim, but their method of achieving that, which first of all, I don't think that's even a great end goal. Like you're not, you can't even, that's, that, how do you do that? Well, how you do that is you discriminate against certain groups and you give preferential treatment to other groups because we have to balance things out to correct for historical injustices, right? This is what they say. But if you ask them a question, this is a great tip when you talk with someone like this. So at what point, when they justify prejudice against men, for example, or they justify prejudice against white people, um, they won't call those things racism and sexism because of their new redefinitions, but, but they will call them prejudice. If you ask them, so at what measurable end goal are we, is it, are we gonna say all prejudice is wrong again? Like, how do we roll this back? At what point can we say, oh, power has been redistributed equally. Like do you, what, at what end goal do, we, and then how do you teach an entire generation that you just, you just taught that it's okay to be prejudiced because that's what you gotta do to correct things. Well, how do you unteach that? Right. Well, when we're all uh, equally dead in an open grave, then there will no longer be prejudice. It's no longer necessary. We're all equal. Uh, yeah. I'm power hoarding. I just don't have anything to say. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Well, they want to power hoard. Of course. That's why <laughs> that's... I don't have anything to say. It's like, I don't, what do you <laughs> say about this? They are all about power. And, you know, I keep harping on this, but they're anti-individualist. They're about, they're not even about, it's bad enough to be obsessed with power. Like these people are obsessed with power. Like they're an evil villain from a, you know, cartoon, right? but they're not even obsessed with power individually. I mean, they are, I think a lot of them actually are individually obsessed with power, but that's not even the doctrine they're, they're pushing. The doctrine they're pushing is obsession with power over groups or, or for power between groups. They're tribalists and they're just arguing for power based, but group power, which again is just this totally anti 
it's anti-enlightenment, it's anti-Western civilization, it's anti-individualism, it's ultimately barbaric. It's like, this is a return to barbarism and tribalism. That's what this is. And it's, it's just the, one of the most gross philosophies I've seen emerge and be popular. And it's a tribalism not based on shared belief, but on these characteristics that shouldn't be important. We're, we're, right. Race well, and yeah. sex and stuff shouldn't tell me anything about you. you your character is what's important. Your individualism, like we say, but they, um, they, I, I think, I think they're a lot of them are using the whole power is defined by groups thing, like the ones with who are in it in bad faith and know what it is. They're just in a power grab. But then you have the well-intentioned people who are in it. If you ask both of those types of people who are in it, like, what is that end goal at which we can stop being prejudiced? You know, because um, I had a friend who was like, it's like we're stretching a rubber band because we we have to, it was all scrunched up because of historical injustices and we have to stretch it out. I'm like, okay, but when do you stretch it too far and it snaps? Like, how do you, at what point do you say, we need to stop being prejudiced against men now? And how do you back that up? And none of them have an answer. They can't, they, they haven't ever thought that out. Of course. But I mean, but this is the problem with this entire collectivist model of the world. Justice is not a collectivist concept. Justice can only be applied to individuals based on the actions that are in their control. So the idea that there's, that any white person living today has anything to do with any racial injustice ever in history, other than what they personally have intentionally propagated, is ridiculous, right? It's this this idea that we need to make up for slavery is evil. It's an evil, destructive, nihilistic idea, and it can't ever be achieved because plenty of black people had slaves that weren't in the in the Western world. The Muslim slave trade was huge. I've talked about this before. Slavery wasn't a human institution in every culture, everywhere, through all of civilization. Sorry, all pre-civilization. You know, since humans were hanging out, since humans evolved, they had slaves. Everyone had slaves. And not everyone, but all across the globe, they had slaves. So to blame this on like, oh, it's like the white people in America who are responsible for the historical injustice of slavery. No one living today is responsible for that. No one. And the idea that that is linked to justice somehow, the corruption of the word justice also really pisses me off. And, and they do it intentionally, right? Social yeah. justice is a contradiction in terms. There is no such thing as social justice. Justice is applied individually. There's You can't have social justice unless so they- you've got mentality of like people don't matter people are just fodder the groups matter the the optics matter but individuals don't matter and that is the vile ideology of collectivism which killed 100 million people last century yeah so they you're right they want to make individuals culpable for the sins of a, whatever identity groups they're in and not even the modern day sins but historical ones but it's but it's um it's it's such a weird thing because you know you would think logically if you're actually against racism you would be pushing the idea that people are individuals you can't judge them by group they're not culpable for anything except what they've done like they're responsible for themselves and and you can't judge them on the basis of skin but see that that was back that was mlk's version of ending racism we're at this new place now that's like it's the exact opposite it is to end racism, we must become racist. 
um, you know, to end sexism, we must become sexist. They don't want to end racism and they don't want to end sexism. They, they want to end Western civilization. That's well, what they want. I will make one distinction, which I always make just for any new viewers. Some of there them are... want to end those things and they're in it for the wrong reason. They don't know what it is. They're, gu they're gullible. I was a gullible, useful tool for a long time. But, but the point I'll make is that's not an excuse and it doesn't forgive you. Well, I'm, you can believe that. I don't mean. <laughs> I don't like, think it's an excuse. I'm just saying, don't write all those people off. I'm not saying you can't convince them, but you've come to Jesus literally and figuratively, <laughs> <laughs> and and you you see the evil of that. But uh, it's like this idea that ignorance of the law is not uh, a defense, right? Failure to think these things through is not a defense. You can't say, well, I was a stormtrooper. I just believed that the emperor and Vader were good. They said, the emperor said he was about creating utopia and, and they said they were about peace and order. That sounds good. I just went and killed who they told me to. Like, that is not an excuse. And I'm not saying that you attack those people and confront them by calling them racist or anything else. But I, I am saying that they need to slowly be uh, they need to slowly have the the wool pulled off of their eyes so they can see that they are part of a system and an ideology that is racist and that is yeah. not. Well, I think that you get there by with those people who are well-intentioned by acknowledging the shared goal that you have with them, which is which is that you're both against racism and sexism and acknowledging that they're well-intentioned and they're against those things. And then you go from there to helping them understand why all this stuff they've been indoctrinated with is a really elaborate um, way of justifying the very things that they're against and, and manipulating them and manipulating their good intent to actually push the stuff they're opposed to. Yeah, they're being used. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Okay. <sighs> Next one. Fear of open conflict. Uh, this is particularly odd to me, Carrie. Can you explain this? Because, you know, you've got the social justice uh, expertise there embedded in your brain. Um, to me, on the outside, it seems like the social justice warriors who are fear or are afraid of open conflict, as long as, and unless that is them throwing bricks at people they don't like, but they, they certainly like, so the, the, this thing, let me read it a little bit for people who are just listening, but uh, people in power are scared of conflict and try to ignore it or run from it. There's emphasis on being polite, equating the raising of issue, difficult issues with being impolite, rude, or out of line. I mean, this to me just looks like straight up projection. Yeah. So this is um, another word that came after this that they've since defined and added to their lexicon is tone policing. I'm sure you guys may have heard of that. Can if you it, define it? Because I don't think it's obvious. So tone policing is um, if I if I say something to you um, that's like as an SJW, if I say something that's really over the top, rude and offensive, like if you if you look at some of the Evergreen College um, video footage, you'll see an example of this where the students are in the hallway screaming at some of the professors or the, the um, president, college president and calling them all manner of names and just behaving in a horribly horrible in a horrible way and someone in that video says like can you can we all calm down okay and they're like don't tone police me that's what it is they they will say don't tone police me 
And it's a, it's a really, um, it's a, it's a way of refusing your, it's an absolute preemptive way of refusing to engage in a civil way, refusing to engage in civil disagreement. It's a justification for ad hominem attacks. It's a justification for the personal insult, all the ad hominem that they commit. It's a justification for vile behavior on their part. Because if you say that's, hey, that's really vile, then they say you're attempting to tone police. Most of their words are, are words that they use to stop disagreement and just in the conversation, it's, it's a way of, uh, of, if they say the word, it's like a magic word and then they're right and you're wrong. <laughs> like, I don't know if that makes sense. I tried to, but. No, I, I, I think it does. I mean, again, like most of these, this is a unidirectionally applied concept. So the people that are on the other side of social justice are not allowed to tone police. Right. But of course, the social justice warriors are allowed to tone police all they want. In fact, they can even say, uh, "I, you know, what's the thing that you say? Like, I have too many, too many spoons. What's the, what's the? Uh, I don't have enough spoons. I don't have enough spoons for to deal with you. Like, I don't even have to. It's too much work for me to even have to explain to you why you're wrong. So, like, they, they, they can ultimate. They have like the ultimate tone police themselves. Yeah. They don't want to be tone policed. Here's a fun thing to do is when you're in a discussion with them, um, you can cu- try and point out that they're being hypocrites without, again, without calling them a hypocrite. And I'm like, cause that, then they're not going to listen. But if some, if you're in an argument and they commit one of these sin, one of their SJW sins, it's kind of funny to say like, like if they're a man and they're lecturing me about how I'm wrong, it's like, wouldn't you say that you're mansplaining right now? Like, I don't believe you are, but wouldn't you say that? Or like, wouldn't you say that you're tone policing me right now? Right. Because it forces them to try. It, it's a moment of that cognitive dissonance where it's like they have to deal with that question and they don't know how. They just get angry after that? What happens? Sometimes they get angry, yes. But other times, um, if there are people watching, like if it's an interaction on social media, you can get them to come down from that high horse a bit and, and actually engage. It's rare, but it's happened to me occasionally. Okay. We only have a few more left, Carrie. But this next one, I should take a deep breath before the next one because if I got riled up before, I'm going to get riled up by this uh, tenfold. So before I even say this, the, one of the foundations of Western civilization is individualism. It's the idea that people are individuals. They shouldn't be, uh, you know, the John Locke argued against the divine right of kings. So people, people's rights are, uh, are individual. It doesn't matter whether you're a member of the aristocracy or something else. Uh, people have a, have their, each individual has their own right to life as, you know, talk about founding documents of America, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, blah, 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 Right. All that is based on this idea that individuals matter and that individuals are have supremacy over the state, that individual rights have supremacy over the group. That's how we ended up with, with America. So let's look at this. One problem, something that is indicative of white supremacist culture is, survey says, individualism. So individualism is... A problem, apparently. Now, I think they're crediting white people with individualism, which 
I guess I could say thank you, but I'm not responsible for inventing it. So uh, <laughs> I don't like to take credit or blame for anything that people that share my skin color have ever done. Individualism. And they put some things in here that sound kind of good from a management perspective. Little experience or comfort working as part of a team. So we're all supposed to nod our heads at that and go, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to be team players. I understand, right? But they they title this individualism, I think, because that's really the heart of what social justice, like that's the thing that social justice needs to attack more than anything else, it's individualism. Individualism is just like it's, I would say, one of the foundations for Western civilization because it is one of the foundations. I say, So let me back up. I think social justice warriors recognize exactly what the foundations of Western civilization are, and they want to destroy them one by one. And this is one of the major foundations to Western civilization, the concept of individualism. Now, this, this slide may be mislabeled. Maybe individualism isn't the right word that they have here, but they want to, but they need to attack individualism as a concept and paint it as bad. So they equate individualism with like being a brat who can't work as part of a team and you know uh, having no accountability or whatever. So that's not what individualism is, but they need to paint it with this brush because they really, really want to and need to destroy the concept of individualism as being desirable. So look, they say it leads to isolation. Um, competition is bad. This, Carrie, this gets back to your thing before, like, oh, no, you, don't, you don't want competition. Competition is more highly valued than cooperation. It creates a lack of accountability. I don't know how individualism creates a lack of accountability unless you're a completely horrible manager, but Individualism is ultimate accountability, frankly. But, Carrie, do you have any? I think they're attacking this just because they need to attack individualism as a concept. And they used it as an, they use these, you know, some, some people are going to recognize some of these issues at places you've worked where you say, oh, yeah, sometimes people aren't accountable or they're not good team players or whatever. And they're going to recognize some of these and, and think they're problems, but they're labeled with individualism specifically to attack the concept right. of individualism. And then the anecdote, the anecdotes here, anecdotes, evaluate people based on their ability to delegate to others. I mean, this is, it's becoming like, don't worry about, you know, make sure that credit is given to all partici who participate in an effort. Right. So I don't carry, I had to tone my anger down on, on this one. Oh, you did a good job. No, so they're taking things that are actual that you might recognize as actual problems, like people who aren't good on teams, for example, but they're using that to um, pad, I would say, pad this section because it's hard to attack individualism. So um, but you're right. They have to. It's it, because, again, the underpinning this whole belief system is that it's a collectivist groups. It's a collective ideology, collectivist ideology. It's it's the world is best viewed through this lens of competitive groups competing for power based on identity. So you can only believe that's true if you believe that groups are primary and, and, and individuals are secondary. So they have to denigrate individualism because that's the opposite. It's, it's the, the individualism is like the, the individual is primary and 
it is a big part of what they're pushing right now. I do see what you're saying too, about how it, it is an attack on Western civilization at its root. And I do agree. A lot of them know that's what it is, but a lot of them, again, a lot of them don't, a lot of them, a lot of them, even if you say, Hey, this is, this is a form of Marxism. They'll laugh at you. A lot of the people who subscribe to this form of Marxism will laugh at you because they don't know enough about it. Right. Right. Well, the next one is an attack on capitalism, basically. Uh, it, well, <laughs> again, I think a lot of the socialists and social justice warriors have a grade school understanding of capitalism anyway. So, but this is their, this is the grade school attempt to tear down capitalism, which is uh, progress is bigger and more. So this is their like, hey, you don't have to grow and expand as an organization. That's not helpful. Uh, instead, we should be using seventh generation thinking. Seventh generation thinking, for those who don't know, is a concept. Uh, I think it was an Iroquois, Native American Iroquois concept where the act they, they would, before they made decisions about um, what to do, they would consider the impact seven generations later, right? Which is, I guess, a fine factor to weigh in, but certainly not the it kind of presupposes that you know anything about what seven generations later will be. Let's do some quick math, figure the average age at which you have a child. What's, what's a generation, 25 years, 30 years? Let's say it's 25 years, right? So if it's 25 years, seven generations later is 175 years later. Uh, 175 years ago, trying to predict what you did, like anything you did having an impact is a little bit arrogant and ridiculous. There's no way you could possibly predict that. So I'm not against long-term thinking, but this is kind of this weird, this is this, this is a very, um, so alt, so I don't want to say this. The socialist, which is wrapped up in a lot of environmentalism and like a lot of environmentalists are just, you know, they're, they're watermelons, right? They're green on the inside and red on the inside or green on the in, outside and red on the inside. Right? So, they're just pushing socialism and Marxism, as you mentioned, and the the way to do that, they can't make an argument that anything will be better in your lifetime or your kid's lifetime or your grandkid's lifetime. Instead, they do this weird like nature worship thing where they're like, well, I know that if we do this thing now, it's going to have a bad impact uh, seven generations from now on, you know, a tree squirrel. And it's like that's you don't know that. It, this is a stupid way to think. And I think this is just, I think they know this is a stupid way to think. They don't, they don't worry about seven. If they, if they were worried about seven generations later, they would worry about, um, I don't know, unfunded liabilities and printing money and going into massive debt as a nation to fund all the things that they want. So, and they would not, worry about how to roll back prejudice that they've endorsed now. Right. So, right. So they don't think about any of this. They're just using this to kind of tear down what they view as capitalism. They think capitalism is just like their, their idea of capitalism is like the, the guy from the uncle, Mr. Pennybags or whatever his name is from Monopoly, like smoking his cigar and counting his gold. Ha ha ha. We need to expand the railroad. That's their idea of capitalism because <laughs> they're stupid. But, you know, this is their like, oh, progress is progress isn't always good. Right. They say that. But of course, you know, they also push legislation that requires innovation and progress and stuff. They're like, oh, you know, every, the, the energy, all energy should be renewable and environmental. 
We don't know how to achieve that. Well, you'll figure it out. It's like, well, how do you think we figured out through innovation and building and getting bigger and like progress? So they they rely on all of the the tools of capitalism and all the results and products of capitalism and and yet try and undermine it with this. So I don't think there's anything particularly. The, I, I, well, I guess the one thing to keep in mind here is remember the context. This is white supremacy. So what they're saying is that progress is is a white person thing and it's specifically a white supremacist thing that and 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 i think there's a reason that he's talking about seventh generation thinking here because seventh generation harkens back to this um romantic view of native americans as somehow this morally pristine and admirable culture where oh look look how they lived with one one you know they were at one with nature and that's what we should get to and that's how we should return to you know if you want to go be one with nature and and live like the iroquois did go ahead but the rest of us would like running water so (laughs) this this is this is their they have this it's really they're so childlike they have this childlike admiration for ways of life that they couldn't survive a week in possibly not even a day but they have this admiration like, oh, the Iroquois were so wise. Yeah. Yeah, they were great. <laughs> the Iroquois were fucking awesome. That's why they're like, yeah. You're an old man yelling at the clouds. <laughs> All right. Should we look at the? Yeah, let's do the Gary, next sorry, one. Do you want... No, the I'm good. Almost just as bad. The next one's actually worse. The next it one's the next one. The next one is just as bad as individualism. The next one is objectivity. objectivity. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, this is this is uh, this is that reason and logic are white man's tool of oppression. Uh, can I can I say something here first? Being objective. If, say so, you're. I I'm just. I I need to take it. I need okay. to go breathe into a paper bag. Okay. So this is the part of. When people talk about how this is a new form of Marxism that's wedded to postmodernism, this is an example of how they're wedded. And it doesn't make, it's hard for it to make because none of this makes sense. But um, postmodernism, which is like there, every, everything's equal, every idea is equally valid. Um, there is no objectivity. There is no um, objective truth. There's nothing that, that we can agree on. Um, logic and reason we should not use there there that's the postmodernist part um it's wedded to this i think because this is what allows them to this is like their ace in the hole this is their final card like if they play all the other cards on you your your male privilege card they they if they call you you say your tone policing if they white fragility if they've used all these cards this is like their, their ace in the hole of like, at the end of the day, they can say, well, there is no such thing as objective truth. And there is, and there, we don't need to argue in, in logic or reason. If, if you use logic and reason to point out why this is a bad ideology or why it's actually a racist and sexist ideology, then they, they, they will say that your very tools, the tools of logic and reason are themselves um, tainted by white patriarchal society and you can't use those things so this is the crazy part of the ideology well so let's let's there's a nuance here let's let's point it out right so i so by by the way i do agree with you and and it is 
you know, you can call it postmodern philosophy. There's, there's a lot of like the deconstructionist Derrida did a whole bunch of stuff here. Like there's, there's a bunch of crazy. The reason that people laugh at philosophers, modern day philosophers is because, you know, my, my concept of modern day philosophers is like a bunch of guys sitting around smoking pot, wondering if the ceiling exists, right? It's, it's ridiculous stuff. If you read most of modern philosophers, they're just so patently ridiculous that no one could take them seriously. And they make these arguments that like objective reality doesn't exist and blah, 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 you know, and they, you know, they, they sit around and say absolutely nothing useful for actually living in society and, you know, make these weird arguments that, you know, logic doesn't exist, but I'm going to try and logically prove that logic doesn't exist and objective reality doesn't exist, but I'm arguing, assuming that it does, because I assume that when I say a word, you know what it means because there's a shared objective reality. Like it's just self-destructive, self-imploding, childish, just deranged arguments coming from philosophers who are worshipped, like philosophers who are, you know, considered great philosophers, great thinkers, right? And this is why people think philosophy is a load of crap, because a lot of modern philosophy is a load of crap. The problem is, I don't think they they... They they did base a lot of this on so they they do adhere to those philosophies and the postmodernists, um, the postmodernists do have that horrible philosophic foundation, but there I think it is their ace in 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 their sleeve. I agree with you, but they're afraid to really say it directly. So let's look at this slide once again, just for a second. They don't say there's no objective reality. They say that you can't be objective. They say, well, you can't know the objective reality. It's a subtle difference, but it's more philosophically defensible to people who don't know how to argue against that. So they say, well, there's a belief that there's no such thing as being objective. The belief that emotions are inherently destructive or rational and should not play a role in decision-making. Well, I mean, I guess they should play a role in decision-making of who you marry, but they certainly shouldn't play a role in decision-making for lots of things like building a bridge uh, and validating people who show emotion, right? That's not, people don't, like, organizations don't invalidate people who show emotion. They invalidate people who try and use emotion as an argument, which it's not. Requiring people to think in a linear fashion, this is what you're getting at. Arguing that basically think in a linear fashion is code word for rational. Right? Requiring people to be rational and ignoring and invalidating those who think in other ways. Right, This is them trying to say, well, there's other ways to look at the world. You don't have to be rational. Right, Although you damn well want your brain surgeon to be rational when he's trying to cut out a tumor. But when they're educating your kids, we don't have to be rational about that. Impatience with any thinking that does not appear logical to those with power. So now they're they're even trying to con. I think that they're go about to corrupt the concept of logic generally, and maybe we'll see this in the next few years. I think they're just going to try and say logic is whatever whatever they feel it is, whatever their argument is. That's just what logic is. And there's white man's logic, and then there's social justice logic. But they've I already started this in colleges, by the way. You can oh, also great. look that up. Yeah, no, they've I'm already started. But it's already happened. I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. So. So yeah, so they're trying to corrupt this. They want to ruin the word logical. I mean, logical has very specific definitions, um, but they, they need to corrupt it. So I would say here, they're not, um, I, they're being cautious with how they say this because if they say it outright, it will appear 
obvious on the surface that they're insane. So they need to make it look, you look at oh, the belief that there's no such thing as being objective. It's like, oh, well, I guess everyone does have some subjectivity. Like that's how people get drawn into this, right? But they, they pull yeah, you- just because you can't be objective doesn't mean you shouldn't strive to be objective. Right. 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 They, they, and they pull you into it. You're exactly right with, um, th- this is why these, these phrases, your truth and my truth have become so prevalent where you right. like speak your truth, you know, um, they prioritize emotion and experience over logic and reason. So that's, that's one reason they have to attack logic and reason, because if you're having a debate or a discussion with an SJW, um, if they are a woman and you're a man, they they essentially you're wrong you cannot be right <laughs> well if you're limited to using logic and reason then the social justice warrior will lose yeah but but they don't even they don't even try to use it cuz they they say experience trumps that so i'm i'm a woman therefore i've experienced sexism and you haven't so you don't know what you're talking about and i can just you know and they they do this well, with I can um, identify as a woman during the discussion though Carrie and i don't know how would they react to that yeah but see that's where the postmodernism comes in i am a woman <laughs> right now <laughs> really quickly um oh gosh i saw this in a discussion a, a few months ago maybe a year ago um, where, where these women were saying this to these female SJWs were saying this to a male liberal and they were telling him, uh, it was something about, oh, oh, he, they're having a conversation about breastfeeding. And they basically said, you have no right to an opinion because you're a man and you haven't, you don't have lived experience as a woman. And why would you take a man's opinion over a woman's? And he asked them, well, what about if it's a male breastfeeding expert, would you take their because there are different reasons why you value some opinions over others. I think I'd take that male breastfeeding expert's opinion over my female cousin who is in high school. I, I, I just like, there's like different, I would probably listen to that guy first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this is, this is ultimately, I, like you said, I think, would you call it the ace in the hole or whatever, ace up the sleeve. This is their way to, this is their way to, really just uh, undermine every every argument and so, all these things they attack one other quick thing all these things they attack they attack them because they it's a circular argument like you've brought up before they want to be able to say if you use any of the things that itself is evidence of the thing you're saying doesn't exist so if you use logic or you use objectivity or you or, or you talk about individualism they will say the fact that you care about those things and you use those things is evidence of your white supremacy Right. Yeah. And that's a good point. Again, tie it back to the, this, this, this whole document, right? Let's just, let's, re, let's remind ourselves this document is titled white supremacy culture. So, and it says these characteristics are damaging. These are, these are white supremacy culture characteristics. So again, uh, if you are a person of color, the, clear implication here is that you can't handle logical arguments. You need to be able to stamp your feet and whine and show emotion or you'll never get anywhere because logic is just too tough for you. It's too hard. Only white people can be logical. God, this is so racist. I don't even...
And make no mistake, this is just, this happens to be about race, but they have these about everything that you could easily take this and they, they could have just put up their male supremacist culture because they do the same thing to women. They turn women into um, victims and, and the way that you get at, if you're a white woman, now you have the, you're part of this in this way, you're an oppressor, but by being a woman, you're the oppressed. And the way that you deal with that is you are a good ally by pushing this belief system. Yep. You may you atone for your sin of privilege <laughs> by becoming a missionary and going out and pushing this. Yeah. God, I really, uh, I really hope Gen Z. I really hope Gen Z fights these people, and just like, yeah. Okay. them. Hey, Joe, in the comments, Gen Z. you want to fight this crap? <laughs> Give me a call. All Joe, right, is, Joe in the comments says, um, when talking with an SJW in public, think of it as speaking to the crowd. You will never change the mind of a fanatic. Let the SJW be a wackadoodle to show everyone else their true face. This is true. A lot. So a lot of times, whether this is in person or online, a lot of times online, I engage in what, well, sometimes there are very pointless conversations, but sometimes I engage in what appears to be a pointless conversation with a person because I know, I know that person's not going to change their mind, but I know there are people watching. Right. Can help Absolutely. change their mind. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. All right, so we're on the last one here. <clears throat> and this is, I think this is uh, white tears, basically. The right to comfort. The belief that those with power have a right to emotional and psychological comfort. Scapegoating those who cause discomfort, equating individual acts of unfairness against white people with systemic racism, which targets which daily targets people of color. So this is this is saying, uh, hey, we haven't we haven't proved any systemic racism. We're just saying uh, <laughs> unfairness against white people doesn't count. And we there's this vague thing called systemic racism. And you're not allowed any no white people or any no one with power. But they really mean white people here. No one with power has a right to any emotional comfort. Now let's be clear: no one has a right to emotional comfort. No one's asking for a right to emotional comfort. This is, I think, this is the. Correct me if I'm wrong, Carrie. But this is the like male tears kind of thing. This is them just saying, "Oh, poor you." Absolutely. You can't, you can't complain. Absolutely. And if you look at that word there, discomfort, what they mean by that is disagreement. That, that like, if you you disagree with them, they say, oh, well, you need to understand that this discomfort you're experiencing is is the root of all growth. Like, I'm not experiencing discomfort. I'm disagreeing with you and offering an alternate argument. Then why are you so fragile? White fragility. I'm not fragile. I'm disagreeing with you. (laughs) But these are these are entire these are ways again to shut down disagreement. And another thing they do there, Carter, which is amazing. After spending all this time lifting up emotions, this is they have to explain their hypocrisies. This is another way they explain their hypocrisies. So they're hypocritical because emotions are only primary and experience is only primary when you're talking about someone who's in a quote marginalized group. If you're in one of the privileged groups, none of those things matter. So this is how they explain that. Right. Exactly. All that stuff we just said about emotions, that doesn't apply to you, Whitey. If, you, if you're in a powerful group. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whitey. So, <laughs> um, I mean, that's their definition of a powerful group is Whitey. And men. That's, that's what they mean. And straight right? people. Yeah. But, I mean, they wouldn't, uh, you know... <laughs> Pick anyone who's not white, who's in a position of power. They, this wouldn't, you know. Yeah. Wouldn't, this doesn't apply to Al Sharpton. So, okay. Um, 
that's it. Those are the things. I, I, but it's important to, let's point out this last thing here because <clears throat> they summarize this nicely. It says, one of the purposes of listing characteristics of white supremacy culture is to point out how organizations which unconsciously use these characteristics as their norms and standards make it difficult, if not impossible, to open the door to other cultural norms and standards. As a result, many of our organizations, while saying we want to be multicultural, really only allow other people and cultures to come in if they adapt or conform to already existing cultural norms. So the point I want to make about that, Carrie, is the blatant racist condescension they have towards anyone who's uh, not white. They are assuming that if you are not a white person, you just can't handle the objective objectivity or uh, logic or individualism or any of the things that were, you just, you can't handle it. And so if you've got an organization, you got to get rid of all this crap. It's not clear to me how you should be running an organization, but not that way, apparently. And so this is how apparently the New York City schools are going to be run now. So we'll see. So I'm going to read this text I got last week from a friend of mine, just because I think it's relevant here. Because as you're saying that, I absolutely agree with you. And you got to wonder, why would they want to convince people of color that they can't do any of these things or that they, or that they oh, don't know value anything? But yeah, go ahead. So, so my friend um, who's black, he... We we were he t- we were talking about um, the SAT uh, adversity scores, right? Yep. And uh, he said um, these people have to want these kids to fail in life, right? After some group in California called for homework to be abolished a few years ago because it's racist to black students, I was convinced that they hated black people. They're dumbing people down so that we're easier to control. It's insidious. Of course. They want you to pull the donkey lever. That's all they want. They want you to go into the voting booth and and vote for them. And right now it's the donkey uh, lever. Eventually it will be the, you know, there'll be a commie lever eventually or some, you know, a nice uh, socialist party lever. But that's what they want. Um, And you can't, you can't have a bunch of mindless zombies to control if you support individualism and tell everyone of every color that all of you can achieve based on how hard you work and what your abilities are. are. And you can all compete and you can all be uh, use logic and reason and, and strive for objectivity and progress and grow. And hey, anyone can be a part of this. That, that doesn't work. Think for yourself, be an individual. That does not work. Their ultimate goal here, uh, and can we circle back to education? Because this is what this is all about. This is about educating children. This, Remember, this is, this is a presentation. This is the basis for the presentation given um, to the New York City public school administrators and staff for how they should be running their school, i.e. how they should be educating your children if you're in New York. And I guarantee this kind of crap is going on everywhere else in the country. So if you have kids in school, the goal of the school, even if it's not explicit, is not just to indoctrinate your kid, it's to destroy their ability to critically think and to turn them into mindless zombies that will follow the social justice leaders. That's the goal. And, you know, I, as parents, we need to be way more vigilant than we have been about schools. 
because I know I know it's easy to and, and I know it's a pain in the ass to worry about what your kid's learning in school. But, you know, it's not 1950 anymore, guys. Your kid is learning. Your, your kid is having their brain eaten by social justice zombies every day in school. That's what's happening. Yeah. In the chat, good parent says we need to stop being on the defensive and we need to get on the offensive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's a it's hard because a lot of the people I always assumed before I started looking at this, I assumed that since I went to school, that teachers, people who were in the teaching profession and educators were focusing on uh, pedagogy, right? They were advancing the state of pedagogy. Like, how do you teach? What's the most effective methods? What are they like? I assumed that that's what they're doing because that's what anyone does in any industry normally. Right. But of course, uh, they're not really in the private sector. So they're not doing that. What they have been doing is focusing on how to indoctrinate socialists. That's what they're doing. And that's what they've spent their time doing. And so chances are, if you're a relatively intelligent parent, you probably know how to teach your kids just as well as or better than any teacher in school. They're not specially skilled you know, and if they have any particular skill, it's outweighed by the skill they have at turning your kid's brain to mush. There's plenty of online tools for teaching kids things. There's, yeah, it takes some work, but, you know, if at all possible, pull your kid out of school, pull your kid out of school, homeschool, get your kid out of school or, or put it or really evaluate a private school um, before you stick them in the private school to make sure that they are not subject to any of this, any of this. That's the end of my rant, Carrie. Are I you, think what that's you, a good rant to end on. Be you, yeah, be, I know, we've been two hours now, so I've got an appointment. I know, I know. But the, uh, bathroom. <laughs> I know it is important. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I, look, I share all of this. I think you ended it on a great point. All right. Well, on that note, thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining and being part of this discussion. And the chat was pretty active. And... Uh, Look, I think we're going to do more of these on education because you and I are both passionate about it and there's a lot to talk about. And um, I think Good Parent is right that we do need to be on the offensive and maybe we can figure out how to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, if I had the time and resources, I'd probably spend more time actually developing curriculum and like, but, but I think people have done it. I haven't done a lot of research on, on a lot of homeschooling curriculum, but the truth is, um, I've, I mean, I've tested this with my own kid who's not even in a public school. She's in a private school, which is supposedly better in the Bay Area, but supposedly better. And uh, it's relatively little work and easy to have them accomplish more in a day at home than it is, uh, I mean, th th than they do at school. It's, it's not, they're not doing much in school uh, from what I can tell. So... Uh, we'll go on the offensive. All right. On that note, I don't know, Carrie, I guess that's it. You want to be, you want to be done. We'll be done. Thanks everyone. <laughs> Thank you guys. All right. We'll see you next, uh, next week. Hey, and bye and share the video.